Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Lisa Semsey is a veteran educator of 20 years and has taught kindergarten through sixth grade general music, elementary choruses, as well as elementary and middle school strings in Lower Dauphin, Conestoga Valley School Districts, and Columbia Borough School District, where she served as the K-12 Art and Music Coordinator. Mrs. Semsey has also been the Artistic Director and Prelude Choir Director for the Children's Choir of Lancaster from 2005 to 2012. Currently, she teaches kindergarten through sixth grade general music and chorus in Hempfield School District. She is an adjunct faculty member at Elizabethtown College, where she teaches the undergraduate music education courses. She has presented workshops at the local, regional, and national level across Pennsylvania and in Texas, with sessions covering topics including classroom management, choral reading sessions, technology in the music classroom, movement and music curricular connections, Kodai pedagogy in the modern elementary music class, curriculum development, lesson planning, and Arf Schulwerk-inspired elements in K-6 music classes. She's also a freelance violist who enjoys playing in contemporary orchestral settings. Mrs. Sempsey is the elementary representative on the PMEA District 7 board, as well as a member of the board of directors for the American Center for Elemental Music and Movement, where she serves as chair of the Professional Development Committee. It is my great pleasure to welcome Lisa to the podcast this week. So happy Groundhog Day, everybody. And for this uh, this week's episode on the podcast, I am very, very happy and thrilled to welcome a fantastic elementary music educator, Lisa Sempsey from Farndale Elementary out there in beautiful Pennsylvania. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. So the way I start every podcast, Lisa, and I'm sure you've heard some of them, is having music educators kind of talk about their career path, because I think a lot of people enjoy hearing similar stories and different stories. But you have a very cool kind of a 360 degree career in terms of, uh, you know, all the different things that you do. So if you can give us like the the 10 minute snapshot of how you became interested in in music and becoming a music teacher and to where you are today, that'd be great. Sure. Um, so I'm a public school music kid. My family uh, valued music, but didn't automatically put us in piano lessons when we were, you know, five years old or anything like that. They left it to the public school music systems. Mm -hmm. And if it weren't for a high quality public school music system, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, So I went through a, a fantastic school system in Williamsport School District in Pennsylvania and um, got really into the choir programs and the string programs. Um, and that's where I fell in love with things. My my high school years were heavily involved with the orchestral programs. And through our key club, um, I ended up going out to elementary schools to just be a set of helping hands. And that really set me on my path to 
wanting to be a music teacher, specifically a strings teacher. I um, helped with my personal elementary strings teacher at my elementary school, and um, I fell in love with it. So then I applied to music schools, decided to go to Millersville University in Lancaster County, ended up in Lancaster County and never left. But after mm-hmm. going through a fabulous four-year program there, um, I graduated in 2001 and thought I would be a strings teacher. And I could not have been more wrong because <laughs> I thought I'd be in high school strings. Um, what ended up happening was I fell in love with K-6 general music and taught privately at home for a long time, um, always wanting to meld the two together. And I got the opportunity along the way. Um, over the course of the career, I taught in four public school districts in South Central Pennsylvania, including K to six general music, fourth through eighth grade strings and orchestra, elementary choirs, elementary orphan-inspired ensembles with barred instruments and ukuleles and other classroom instruments. And uh, I also became the artistic director of the Children's Choir of Lancaster for almost a decade. Uh, then, you know, it just takes you in interesting paths. What were you going to yep. say? I was just going to say, you, uh, side hustles galore. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like many, many music teachers. I'm sure a lot are uh, are nodding their heads. It's it's an amazing profession, but I love hearing. That's why I love doing this part of the uh, interview is to see, you know, the wh- where people's paths led them. Yeah, and it's not what I I assumed or intended at 18 years old. I could not have envisioned where I am now. Yep. I just couldn't have. Um, after that, I I ended up being asked to teach in the undergraduate and graduate music education programs at Elizabethtown College. So I teach several courses there. Um, I'm the elementary representative for PMEA District 7. And I'm on the board of directors for the American Center for Elemental Music and Movement. So there's just, (laughs) there's a lot going on there. (laughs) There sure is. You're a busy lady. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun though. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, your path and, 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 and I'm sure many other listeners paths are, are similar to mine in that I did not end up doing what I thought I would do or what I came out of undergrad I was going to be a high school band director, marching band director. And what happens, I think, for many is that that's not the opportunity that presents itself to you. Correct. And and you can either, you know, cry about it or you can take the job that is offered to you. I was offered, you know, I wanted to be a affluent suburban school district, high school marching band director, uh, you know, with, with all the funds and resources. And I ended up being an elementary band director in the inner city. Um, right. With no with no office and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kids and, uh, you know, absolute the opposite of what I thought I'd be doing. And then I did a pre-K to eight general vocal instrumental and handbells, right, as my second year. So, you know, I think anybody listening, especially if they're undergraduates, I'm sure your advice would be similar to mine is never uh, never assume that you're going to get the gig you want and that you can easily find happiness in alternative gigs um, to, to what you thought you would be doing. I think every every kid that graduates under undergrad music programs has the idea of being a high school band, choir, orchestra director. Right. 
Yeah. And I think it's also that um, don't underestimate yourself. You know, you, you think you're going to go one path, but you're a musician and musicians have broad skills. Yep. Are you willing to take the bull by the horns and just embrace it and go on that path? You know, um, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone to my Kodai training and right. done three levels of that, or then right. go on to my ORF training and done three levels of that, you know, and that just, that opens your world to so many things. You don't lose where you started. You just add on to it. That's a good way of looking at it. I, and um, amazing that you're able to do as much as you are able to do being a full-time elementary music teacher, and then also teaching undergraduate and graduate courses. Um, you know, I, it, it must be interesting to the students in your program at it's Elizabethtown, right? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It must be amazing for them to have an actual practitioner, not no, no knock on any other music ed professor, but somebody who's actually in the classroom during the day and then is teaching, you know, uh, in the evenings, I would assume, uh, uh, teaching like this is what I did in my elementary music class today. And this is what worked. That must be wonderful for them. It's um it definitely opens up conversations yep. of, you know, we're talking about approaches and um, you know, the basic skills. How do you teach a song? How do you introduce a concept? What do you do with it to be creative and not teacher-led, but student-led? And then when they ask questions, it's really nice to be able to go back in my 20 years of teaching and say, well, I've approached it this way for these set of students, but I've approached it this way for this set of students and here were the differences. And we can really flesh out some real world conversations then. That's fantastic. So um, it fair to say that you're an elementary music specialist? That, I think be... so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, going through a, an orchestral program and thinking that's where you're going to end up doing, why don't you talk? I mean, I, I have ideas, but I'd love to hear from you. Why don't you talk about why it's so great being an elementary music teacher? Oh, because <laughs> I this is you jumped into a rabbit hole with that one. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I think that the opportunity to teach all students the foundational work and get them to fall in love with their artistic and creative side. I don't think there's a more noble or fun path. Um you're often students' first experiences. And so that's also something to take really seriously. Like, yeah. what are you going to provide to your school community and the community at large? Um, and then to get to know each individual student and say, did you realize you have a beautiful singing voice? Did you realize you are a master at the percussion instruments? Did you, you know, and really kind of open their eyes because sometimes the students don't see it within themselves. And one comment can really um, open students up to a world of possibilities and then be able to talk to the families, work within our school systems opportunities, um, have the families ask about private instruction and and get them into good hands that way. Um, but seeing all students gives you a lot of perspective because yep. no human is the same as another. So, you know, it's often an adventure. <laughs> you can't do it alone. That's why we have communities of colleagues and, and whether they're music colleagues or your school colleagues um, or networking people to help you along the way. But 
I really think that what we do in the elementary classroom can put students, all students on a path of realizing that they are creative, artistic, they have a place in the world of music. Yep. Um, and, and that is just super important for humankind. I, I couldn't agree more here, here. Uh, I think that when I reflect back on my teaching career, I taught for the majority of it in middle school. Mm -hmm. But I think some of the most memorable experiences that I had, and I still hear from students who I had in elementary school as a music teacher, um, were, were those like kindergarten through third grade, you know, general music classes where we were singing and and dancing and playing instruments. And, and really, it's a wonderful, I think it's a privilege, to be honest, to be that person for those kids, because uh, they only have one shot at, at growing up. Uh, and they only have one music teacher often in the elementary school years. And, and right. I don't, th you can never underestimate how important you are. Uh, to those kids, whether they end up doing anything with music or not, I think that the impression you make on them is uh, it lasts for quite a while. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were in middle school for a long time. That handoff from the elementary to the middle school and the handoff from middle school to high school, if if you have great people to hand that off to, um, I think we get the chance to make sure that as many students as possible find a home yep. in the music lane. No, absolutely. And and I was I was very privileged uh, where I worked uh, for the majority of my career in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. We had amazing elementary music teachers, absolutely amazing. So my job as a middle school band director and general music teacher was made that much easier. So why don't you talk about your actual like your day-to-day -day program at Farndale? What what is what are you doing? What are your responsibilities? How many classes do you teach per day? All all the the <laughs> nitty-gritty stuff. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I currently teach K to six general music. We're on a six day cycle mm -hmm. where I see my students in first through sixth grades, twice a cycle for 30 minutes. And my kindergartners once a cycle for 30 minutes because they're in half day kindergarten. Ah, okay. um, I also teach beginning strings Previous to this, I um, during the pandemic, I had taught the entire strings program, um, but it had to do with we weren't having ensembles. Otherwise, my schedule doesn't allow for it. Right. Um, the general music schedule, we have either three or four sections of every grade level. Um, and so the general music side is pretty heavy. I also have a sixth grade choir. They're enthusiastic and super creative, amazing 11 and 12 year olds. I love those kids. <laughs> um, so my my daily job is jam packed, right? Absolutely. I see anywhere between seven and 10 sections of general music a day. And then um, one cycle day, I have fourth grade orchestra as an ensemble. I have another day where I have sixth grade choir as an ensemble. And then three days, I have a couple of sections of string lessons as well. Wow. So pack that into to six days. But the energy level sustains you from class to class, right? Because Absolutely. It's, electric. it's the so only way you can get through the day. You can, you know, the, I, I wrote, I recently wrote a post about, uh, the, you know, the, um, 
pros about joining the corporate world. And number two is being able to pee whenever you want. I know that's yeah. really off color. <laughs> but when I was a pre-K to eight general vocal instrumental, I had to like train myself, you know, yeah. I had like, I had like 11.15 to 11.20, a five minute, like run down the hallway and come back and, and then teach four more sections in a row. So yeah. I, I, I feel your pain. And uh, it sounds like you have a vibrant um, program there. I would assume that your community and, and administration is super supportive. I, 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 I've only been in Hempfield for a few years. Okay. Um, my building itself I think is as close to utopia. Oh, that's in, awesome. In the teaching section, it's a very right. real place of the students we see. Um, but my colleagues are supportive. My principal is incredible. Our secretaries and custodians are amazing. Like just our aides are fantastic. We have a vibrant um, organization called the FPA. It's the Farmdale Parent Association. They mm -hmm. work with us really closely. It's just a beautiful place to be as a teacher. I'm not saying that there aren't difficult times of course. or difficult situations. It is not utopia in all aspects. However, the support level is through the roof and that's and the, that what's so important yeah it sure does so let's let's steer the conversation towards your use of technology and and we you sure. know there's some amazing people at the elementary level doing great things with music technology i'd love to hear what you do what tools you use what your kind of overall philosophy of the place of technology in an elementary mm -hmm. music program is just yeah go on let's hear it so the last I would say 10 years, it's changed drastically. And then the pandemic, of course, on top of that changed things as well, right? right. Um, I started as a teacher who said, I don't really want tech in the room for students mm -hmm. from the side of, I only saw them for such a short amount of time and I wanted physical instruments and I want them to be physically writing yep. if they're doing, you know, or using manipulatives. That's changed a lot. Technology itself is smoother mm -hmm. um, from the teacher side and the student side. And then the pandemic hit. And I think I, I personally got a different viewpoint of what students need in their comfort level and the diversity of um, what students engage in. Right. So that changed things through the lens of the pandemic and coming out of that. Yep. Um, for me, K to two students really don't touch the tech a lot. Here, here. <laughs> um, they are singing and dancing and playing physical instruments. But if we're using technology, I'm using it on my laptop yep. to provide things for them on the projected board. Or I'm lucky enough, not only do I have a laptop provided by the school district, but I have an iPad as well mm -hmm. so that I can hand it off to kids and they can drag and drop, whether it's things that I've created in Google or yep. it's things that are provided in other platforms like Music Play Online or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I can hand it off and they can drag and drop and I don't have to be the one doing it. Um, so that's really nice because we use Apple TV to stream and project. Oh, so cool. I can just have the iPad handed off to a student. They drag and drop. We practice, hand it off to a student. They keep doing it and we can keep manipulating the work. I love that. Um, third grade towards the end of the year, 
they've gotten much more comfortable in their own classrooms mm-hmm. using the technology. And I can use our learning management system. We use Schoology. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've used it enough that they're competent and comfortable. And so it doesn't take the entire 30 minutes to get them onto something and then they have to leave. Right. Um, they can actually <laughs> physically use things. Right. And turn them in. So then at the end of the year, I start using it with them. And then all the way on up through sixth grade, I I said, you know, we're an Apple kind of school district. And so we have garage band projects, or we go out to a fabulous site by the brilliant Kate Bright. Um, She has a website called elementalmusicaladventures.com, where she curated lots of student-friendly tools that naturally work into um, the national standards with, you know, create, um, respond, connect. She actually curated them in and we can use those tools really easily because I'll link it right in Schoology and then they can go directly to the website. And then I use the website's tools to turn in work or you know that how they're creating. All right, for those um, listeners who are who are scrambling to write down what the site yeah. you just said, can you say that site one more time, please? Yeah, it's Elemental MusicalAdventures.com. That's awesome. Awesome. It's fantastic. She um she's a friend of mine. She's brilliant. And uh, during the pandemic, she started curating these things because her role changed in her school district temporarily. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to figure out what can I do that's really good for my students in the time. And now she's just continued it. So it's a huge resource, has things like Blob Opera and the Google, oh, cool. uh, yep. the Chrome things, but also it has Incredibox. But it's all linked into the national standard strands. That's fantastic. Um, which is amazing. Amazing. And it's free, right? Uh, correct? Totally free. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, she just provides it and then she updates it. So, you know, tools that weren't on there at first are on there now and it evolves and yep. changes. So, That's fantastic. If I'm going to put another plug out there, it is the best sub plan <laughs> if you are unexpectedly out for fourth through sixth graders. That's awesome. The best sub plan ever. All right. I will all check it out. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I, I smell a blog post coming up. That is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I love your approach. I love I love what you're doing. Are are you doing any uh, creative projects with your older kids or the you know with GarageBand and um, uh, yeah. the, the other programs? Like what kind of what kind of creative things are the your students doing? Yeah. So our sixth grades across our district sort of behave more on a middle school model mm-hmm. than um, an elementary model. So the beginning of the year. Um, I inherited because the district did it before I came in, but it's a wonderful pro- uh, project. It's called the I Am Project. They write a poem about themselves, and it's one of their first big projects in GarageBand, right. where they need to find complementary loops, but that reflect them and this poetry that they write, and then they record it, put it all together, and submit it. It's it's really beautiful when they embrace it because um, it's. I learned so much about each sixth grader. Um, I also love to take the stem of, you know, video game music or um, children's books where we can create our own um, backing tracks to children's books and get them out to our younger students. But it's been created by sixth grade Um, or the my sixth graders this year will also write their own premise of three levels 
of a video game. Oh, cool. And then they use, <laughs> That's probably um, their favorite project. That's it's great. super fun at the end of the year. They use yep. a lot of skills they've built up and we use beatbox. Oh, cool. Um, and because it's, it's meant to sound like old time yep. video game music yep. and they compose the three different soundtracks for their three levels. Oh, that's awesome. Imaginary video game. Um, so super fun things. Um, but this year I'm hoping to embark on a new project where we're going to um, use some stop uh, stop motion animation. Oh, cool. And that the students are going to create using our instruments in the classroom, but record and then remix for their stop motion animation as well. Awesome. So th there was one tool in there uh, that you mentioned, Lisa, that I, I happen to absolutely love, and that's Music Play Online. Yeah. Um, De Denise Gagne to me is uh, just a, uh, I, she was one of our guests previously on this podcast, and I think she is uh, an incredible uh, music educator and has yes. created something that just keeps, I mean, every single week it gets bigger and bigger. How are you using that product? And yeah. what I, I love your approach with K to two. I have this argument with people all the time to get the tech out of their hands, but use it to help them learn. Um, I, so with that in mind and, and your mention of uh, music play online, why don't you talk about how you're using that tool specifically? Yeah, it's kind of like, how am I not using it? Okay. <laughs> um, so as a mid-career teacher, I love to dabble in and out of music play as a resource, yep. but it's such a deep resource. And you're right. They, they um, are constantly uh, adding more. They're constantly in social media forums and listening. What do people need? Um, they're also listening to how are the times changing and how are we delivering content that's um, more uh, it comes more from culture bearers. Yep. Yep. Things like that. So like, it's just a beautiful resource. It is. All. Um, I use it to find song material, though. I have a vast collection song collection that I keep in Google, um, of several hundred songs. But if I don't have to create something myself, it saves me time. Yep. So if they're using the same version, of of a folk song because there can be like 17 different versions of a folk song yep. um if you're using the same version i'll use their tools with my students um they have great composition tools that the students can use on their own some of my favorite are the melodic composition tools mm -hmm. uh, because the students can create on their ipad so i can take a link the coolest thing about mpo is they have this link that you can put right into your student management system, right? Your learning management system for me, Schoology. The kids can access it. They'll go right to the site and they'll put in your student code. Every teacher has their own student code. So I, I can put the link in or use a QR code and they can put the student code. It takes them directly to the right page yep. and they can compose and then they can play it back. So mm -hmm. it's their composition that they're hearing in real time. And I can have them practice solfege or standard notation. They can hear it on a piano, a xylophone, various instruments. If it's a rhythmic composition, they can hear it clapped back on claves, on, on uh, conga, I think. Um, and they can hear it and then tweak their own composition. And then they can take a screenshot and send it to me. 
That's you so just cool. Upload it. And how child friendly is that? Right. Very, screenshots, yeah. they understand. Absolutely. Yeah, I talk about a screenshot being a selfie for their work. You know, you just take a <laughs> selfie of your work and link it right back in. And I can see their work and there it's it's easier for those third and fourth and fifth graders to just use. Um I love on a day, you can hear at the end of a week, my voice is tired. <laughs> Being a general music teacher makes a very tired voice. I love that if we're practicing solfege, they have videos um, where it's a live voice, an in-tune live voice, and yep. there's it's in different keys. I could pick in C or F or G, or that it changes keys, and you can hear that the solfege is movable. Um, we use their games. They have tons of amazing games mm -hmm. like uh, Poison Rhythm and Poison Melody and Note Toss games and Coconut Chaos to practice standard Oh, notation. Coconut Chaos is awesome. I love that you one. You know, <laughs> all these super fun things, but you can do them as big groups, as a center, mm. um, or in partners or individually. So let's say we have a virtual day because of snow. I can have them play a game and tell me their score and yep. they can upload their score. You know, um, it's just, it, it's wonderful. It's deep. Uh, I've pulled choir music from MPO just in our oh, winter cool. concert. We did a piece by Craig Castles called Snowflakes. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and it worked right into the theme of our winter concert. So it's just so diverse. Um, the nice thing for subs, if they have access to your tech or you can leave them like, Google Slides with the you know the student code in it, they can see demos of how to play games, and then play the song. Oh, that's if cool. Not, yep. Yeah, and then play the song if they're not a music teacher as the background track, and the kids can play in real time in your classroom. It, so, music play I think is a huge tool, a great resource, um, and you can use it in various ways across your career. Yeah. And, you know, that leads me to this question. And, and I didn't prepare you for this one, Lisa, but I think you're going to have an answer uh, pretty clearly, because I think a lot of young teachers who get out of undergraduate uh, programs and are, you know, they get their first elementary teaching job. They're kind of lost in terms yeah. of the arc of the curriculum. What is the journey from the first moment a kindergartner walks into your music class to the last minute, the sixth graders are singing their graduation song. What is the arc of the curriculum? And I think what a lot of people do, and as a music technology nerd myself, um, a lot of people look for the tools first and figure out what they can do with them. And they kind of quilt together a patchwork of like, oh, I think the kids would like this. And mm -hmm. my the way I was trained, the way I was taught is the curriculum comes first. You have to have this kind of curricular map. Um, and, you know, with so many different tools available, both free and paid and and all kinds of different pricing levels. Could you go, walk us through like if you're if you're if you're getting your first elementary teaching gig, what would you do in terms of like, where do I start curriculum yeah. first, then tools or tools, then curriculum? Yes. So, funny. You say you're a music tech nerd. I'm a curriculum nerd. Okay. <laughs> I, I adore curriculum. I love teaching curriculum and how to map it and all these things. So you're speaking my language all right. hugely. You didn't even know that. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> so 
if I were to start over again as a first year teacher, I would right. do it differently. I'm going to tell you that. Um, I would ask my district, you know, do we have a school approved curriculum and where can I find it? Where can I find it? Because right. you need to thumb through that. What are the expectations? Because you're inheriting students who have a musical background. Just because it happened before you doesn't mean it didn't exist. Correct. Um, so they and they have a musical background outside of school. Um, if they don't have a school district approved curriculum, I would look to my state for my state standards. Because if you're a public school teacher, you're married to them. Great answer. Or your thing. <laughs> Um, and if you don't have state standards or they're in flux, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, you look to the national standards um, and there's a lot of resources there. Okay. So we, we put all that aside or together, right? So if right. you have a school district curriculum, you're going to, they should be married to the state and national standards or one of them. Um, and then I would find, you know, what are those backbone skills you yep. need and just write them out. I want them to be actively engaged. I want them to learn to sing tunefully and artfully. I want them to be able to keep a steady pulse in many meters. Next <laughs> <Mixed> meter <laughs> would be nice too, different right. tempi. I want them to be able to learn ensemble and part work and harmony skills and these aesthetic skills, right? Dynamics right. Yep. and things like that. Map that out. And that might be enough as a first year teacher. And then mm -hmm. say, what are my resources? You look on the shelf. What did they give you? And then you look online. Um, and I'm going to give myself a plug because you went. Please there. do. If you go to my website, which is lisasempsey.com, and you go to the resources section, I have a couple of um, Google spreadsheets that are going to automatically give you resources that are online and it'll say whether they're free or paid. They're curated for you um, and it gives you digital tools. It gives you resources for song material and rhymes. It gives you diversity, equity, and inclusion resources. It gives you YouTube playlists that you can go to. So don't start from scratch. Know that things are out there. And I, I will, I curated one for free for everybody. So I'm going to stick that um, web link in the description of the podcast. So for those okay. of you listening, go right back to uh, however you're listening and 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 click that link there. I think that one thing, you know, I've 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 made it like a thing where I'm not going to be talking about the P word or or, or the the uh, coronavirus word anymore. Yeah. Um, but the what it has done in a beneficial way, because I always look for the positives, is that yeah. a lot of teachers have found a lot of resources and there's so much good stuff online. Um, what, uh, you know, I, I was once asked by, or recently asked by an undergraduate music student, how did you become a music technology expert? And I think the answer is really, really simple. And although it's, it may sound, it may sound, uh, uh, you know, over simple, it's true. And that is, I'm really good at Googling, right? So, it's, yeah, right. you know, and I think that the more music teachers that go, Hey, I'm trying to teach my students, um, authentic, authentic music of, uh, Native American populations. Let's say it's yeah. the Lenny Lenape tribe. If you go on Google and say authentic Lenny Lenape tri tribe music lesson plans, 
you get them. It's just like you'll find the Smithsonian or, you know, the Kennedy Center has all of these amazing uh, lesson plans. And I think that a lot of people just they ask the, you know, the social media world. But when it all boils down to it, um, and I think that a lot of people find this out uh, during the pandemic is there's so much great stuff out there. You just have to know the questions to ask. And I love the way, you know, you're tying it to a career. The way you just described the process, I think, should be taught in every single undergraduate music program. Uh, I know that I didn't have a class in, uh, even though I loved my undergraduate program, there was no class in how to write a curriculum. There wasn't. Right. There were classes in how to write lesson plans, but there were no like, this is what, this is why a curriculum map matters. This is mm -hmm. why knowing what skills you want them to master by the end of each grade is important. Because once you have that 10,000 foot view of what your goals are, it's easier, much easier, not easy, but easier to backfill and go, all right, well, if I want the kids at the end of kindergarten to be able to independently sing this song and independently be able to clap this rhythm and play these rhythms, then you go, all right, well, I'll work backwards from there. So uh, I know I'm yeah. preaching to the crowd, but. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And the, the cool thing about that is, is if you're a year one teacher, you use what you have and you make what you have time to make, right? Mm -hmm. But every year of your, your career, you get to build on that and network and go out and learn more. So then I would say, you know, in year two, you go back and say what worked and what didn't. Yep. What do I need to find that's going to do this more efficiently or better or represents my community better. So when you look at who are the community of students, how do you get them to engage? Can you represent their cultures within your classroom? Because mm -hmm. that's where real buy-in happens, like real buy-in. And I think um, that, you know, what I often, and I don't know, this is a total out of left field comment, but I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is that a lot of people think that uh, I'll, I'll go to the stand-up comedian route, right? Stand-up comedians, when they're doing a routine, um, when you see that special on Netflix, what you don't see is that's probably four years of work of them yeah. going to all these little clubs and having certain things bomb, right? And go, well, that joke stinks. Let me edit it. Let me try this. Yes. And I think that teaching is extremely similar. And yes. that in the first five years of teaching, you're going to have plenty of bombs, right? Where yeah. you... And you know it in the first three minutes of your class, when you're teaching a lesson plan, you're like, this is going to be awful. I've got to get, let's play some games. I'm going to, I'm going to divert, you know, abort mission. Yeah, right. Go, we're going to, we're going to play freeze dance for the next 15 minutes. But you know what I'm saying? Like what I, what I think a lot of people, uh, young teachers specifically, and, and uh, don't realize is that to become a, a a master teacher or a, a veteran teacher or even a teacher who feels comfortable, it takes a lot of mistakes and a lot of lessons that don't work. And it's okay to find a, a website and you think it's going to be great and the kids hate it. And then there's yep. another website that you think is really lame and the kids absolutely love. Yeah. And not just that, but like realize that people who are 5, 10, 15, 20 and beyond years in, they still have bombs. Yep. Because a good teacher keeps trying new things. Yep. The difference is you get better at kind of massaging that lesson in real time. Yep. And you just have to be gentle with yourself and say, as a first year teacher, that time takes longer and that contemplative process takes longer. When you've been in 15, 20, 25 years, 
you might be seeing it happen in real time and you can divert. And then the next time that grade level comes in, you've already figured it out. Yep. You know, and and you can figure it out in real time. So just be gentle with yourself and know that the the learning curve continues and people who are in year 35 still have a lesson that bomb. That's it's actually... okay. In fact, a good teacher should have a lesson that bomb because that means they're trying new things. I, I totally agree. And I think one an, another thing, even though a lot of elementary music teacher schedules are absolutely bonkers where they'll have... Yeah. They'll have two kindergarten sections in a row. Then they'll have two sixth grade. Then they'll have yep. a, a second grade. Then they've got uh, lunch duty, recess duty. Then they have their prep <laughs> and their lunch. Bus duty. And, yeah. and they finish out with a, with one more first grade class and then bus duty. Yep. Um, you know, and but what I always loved and appreciated is when I had two sections of the same grade back to back. Like if I mm -hmm. had two fourth grade classes in a row, the first fourth grade class got the kind of the, the trial and error lesson and the second fourth grade class got the better one. Uh, if you know what I mean, like I had a chance yeah. to rehearse the first one and go, all right, well, I edited it. The kids didn't like this song. I'll never forget the the, the, the song Lil Eyes of Jane, um, which was in my undergraduate work, you know, when we were doing like primary music methods, we learned Lil Eyes of Jane yeah. and I was bombing a lesson and they were like second or third graders. And I, 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 it was like a life raft was, oh, I remember Lil Eyes of Jane. I did yeah. that one. My kids absolutely loved it for whatever reason. They love that song. It's a great little tune. Mm -hmm. Um, and the kids wanted to do that, you know, oh, oh, can we sing that? And we actually ended up doing it on the concert. So you never know. And it's, I, I love your approach, Lisa. That's a really honest and, uh, and very good, uh, approach. I think for anyone, whether you're a veteran or, or, or new teachers that don't be afraid to try new things, don't be afraid, yeah. afraid to try new tech. And if it stinks, you know, okay, well, I'm not going to use that one again because just because it worked for Lisa Sempsey does not mean that it's going to work for you. Correct. Um, you know what I mean? And it doesn't give something any less value either. Right. You know, just because it's not working for my students and my community doesn't mean it's not absolutely the best thing for your students. It's all an approach and what what you value, what your community values, and who your students are. And that's the other thing is take a look at who your students are. You know, really be adaptive to who they are. Listen, we need to make sure they're getting quality music. We're also the ones who determine what quality music exactly. is. And there's quality <laughs> music in all genres, in all time periods. Here, here. So like be willing to embrace something that's very, very current and go to your culture bearers in your community and say, I would really like to do, but I need help understanding and your families will come to your rescue and help you because they're going to love that you're embracing who they are. But they also need to learn things from different past time periods. So we're the ones who determine what good quality music is. Trust your gut and give them a broad look at what that is. Um, so, Lisa, before I ask you the advice question, I want to I want to ask you this one, because it, it's kind of why I started in music technology. What is your thought on like in to me, in an elementary music program, when I was doing pre-K to eight, um, I, I said, well, what do I like? Like, what is it that yeah. gets me charged up about music? And um, I come from a Broadway family, my mother, brother, sister, all on Broadway. Uh, and I'm the black sheep, not on Broadway, but I love that. <laughs> I, it's what I grew up with. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make 
a Broadway unit for every single grade level. And I'm going to focus on a different show for every grade. So bringing my own, what I bring to the table, what do you think about, you know, music teachers doing that, bringing their own interests into a curriculum? I think it's really important to um, show that individuals matter and you're an individual in that classroom. You don't not count because you're the teacher. Right. So if you're passionate about something and it works with what the goals are for that age level, it's child friendly and developmentally appropriate and the language and the stories behind them are clean, then I I say hear, hear and go for it. Um, I'm a really diverse music listener. Mm -hmm. My Spotify playlist is really wacky from that. You call it a 10,000 foot of view. Right. Yeah. Like you wouldn't know what I like just by looking at my Spotify playlist. Um, so for me, that's kind of easy because I love really diverse music. Yeah. But, you know, not all people are that way. Some people have really clear lines of what they like and don't like, you know, if it's appropriate for what they're learning, bring it into the classroom or share about yourself or find out ways that students can share about themselves and you can share about yourself to show that all music tastes are valid. Yeah, uh, here, um, here. that's great. Yeah. So um, I have two last questions for you. One of them we've been talking about now for a good solid 20 minutes, but that's the advice question. But yeah. to, be, to be more specific, um, what advice would you give to elementary music teachers who are thinking of incorporating music technology into their programs? Yeah, um, I would say just don't be afraid, but start small. So if if you don't have a lot of experience in technology yourself or using it with your students, I think the start small approach is really good because you need to make sure you kind of hone not only your side to be able to support the kids, mm -hmm. but also, <clears throat> excuse me, to be able to help the students in real time. And there's a learning curve to that, right? Yep, yep. So pick something that you think is really going to support their learning needs and get good at it. Then reflect on it, write yourself notes, whether it's digital notes or, or in a notebook, whatever works best for you and keep that and then expand upon it either with another grade level in a similar kind of project, but geared to their needs or then say, okay, I feel good about this and I'm interested in using you know, something that isn't in standard notation right? or um, a tool that maybe gives students that don't read real well of that standard notation in into the music. Um, so maybe they're going to use a Chrome tool or they're going to use, um, you know, uh, Groove Pizza or Incredibox mm -hmm. yep. or Beatbox, where you don't have to use standard notation, but you can layer in lots of important um, concepts. Love it. Then get good at that one and say, now I have two tools in my toolbox. Yep. Maybe I need a tech break or maybe I'm all in and my kids are too. What's next? And then network. I don't think you have to create it all yourself. There are so many good things out there in forums on Teachers Pay Teachers just really curate and say, will this work for me before you dive in and use it with kids? Once you have two or three tools in your toolbox, 
I think your comfort level skyrockets. You Absolutely. start to feel good about your place in the tech world. And then you say, I can do anything. Um, now I'm going to dabble in this and then do it over a summer and yep. get something ready so you don't have to do it in real time with your kids. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right, Lisa, before I let you go, I have last question, which I ask every guest, and that is the magic wand question. So if you could have music technology um, do something that it can't do right now, what would it be? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about how K-2 students don't really use tech in my room unless I hand it to them. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten, I think the reason is because I teach tiny humans. They're little people. They haven't been on right. the planet very long. Right. Um, and so it's really the sign-on processes for mm. these little tiny humans. Um, so if we could engage little kids in a way where their navigation to the product is so simple, they can't get it wrong. Right. And so quick, they can't get it wrong. I think it might get sprinkled in there. A little more at maybe the second grade level or maybe the first grade level. I'm not saying I would ever probably use it with kindergarten to be right, very right. frank with you. Yeah. But um that sign-on process and getting them to the tech is what can be hard. Let it, like my kids use iPads. They know their code to open their iPad. They learn that in kindergarten. Right. But we use Schoology, which is wonderful, but they have to tap on their Schoology icon get into their music folder, get into the link, then possibly sign on with a code. That's a lot of steps when it you have sure 25 is. little humans in your room. Yep. And so I choose not to do that. If there was a magic wand, it would be the one where I could say, and when you turn on your iPad, it's automatically showing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I think a lot of uh, programmers are out there going, they want to do that. These privacy laws make it very, very yeah. hard. Like, you, you know, like how uh, face ID on your yeah. iPhone. Um, I can't imagine how many uh, legal battles there would be that a kid's face would log them in. Well, um, and to make it safe. Exactly. Yeah, exa well, it that's has the whole to thing. be safe and protect the kids. Yeah, but, but I it's love still it. my wish. <laughs> no, no, I, we, we've got to work on that. Uh, Lisa, it has been a, a real delight chatting with you. I think that this should be required listening for any music teacher in an undergrad program, as well as uh, elementary music teachers. You're, you're a fabulous resource. Uh, again, lisasempsey.com to find out all those uh, resources that you talked about earlier. Uh, thank you so much for I, for those of you that um, listen to these podcasts. This is we recorded this on a Saturday morning because it was the only day Lisa could uh, get out of her schedule. So thank you for taking a weekend morning out uh, to chat with us, Lisa. You've been fabulous. It's so my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Take care and have a great rest of your school year. You too. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.